Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm just waiting, no, no, praying for the day a 25-foot gorilla sweeps me off my feet, (laughs) stares deeply into my eyes, realizes that I'm not Naomi Watts, and then tosses (laughs) me to my death. When's it going to be my time? I mean, I'm Alex. Oh, Alex, if it gives you any comfort, that's my experience in this podcast every week. (laughs) (laughs) Just constantly reminding myself that you are not Naomi Watts. Um, I'm Britain, and yes, audience, I am going to be that guy. King Kong is an ape, not a monkey. Apes don't have tails. Somebody had to say it, okay? Somebody had to say it. I I am that person who every time someone's like, oh yeah, that big monkey, I'm like, ape, he's an ape. (laughs) (laughs) so i guess what i'm saying is everyone has flaws (laughs) some people think uh king kong is a monkey some people uh aren't naomi watts yeah that's true (laughs) some people some people are naomi watts she is some people are naomi watts (laughs) she resides in many of us if uh, david lynch is to be believed but does naomi watts believe that king kong is an ape, or or would she consider him a monkey? Does Naomi Watts dream of electric sheep? <laughs> well, mm. the name would imply that she does have an electronic. <laughs> this is getting. This is just such a bad. A bad line. Wait, I can't wait until Spider Man, uh, whatever that's called, the third one, where she plays Electro, and, <laughs> and the whole time she's just winking at the camera, like, get, do, but do you get <laughs> it? Um. Look, yeah, if, they, talk- if they kept saying, no, no, we promise Jamie Foxx is coming back to play Electro only for Naomi Watts to just pop on screen and be like, do you guys get it? And then that Jamie would be Fox, so great. And then Jamie Foxx plays Craven the Hunter because his name <laughs> has Fox in it and there's it's an animal and Hunter's mm-hmm. hunt animal. We're talking about King Kong from 2005 <laughs> <laughs> this, this week. Yes. So so the, the next stop on our nonsensical backwards attempt at kong versus godzilla we are at the 2005 king kong at some point we'll complete all of this and then it will make perfect sense but probably not king kong from 2005 directed by peter jackson it has an 84 percent critic score on rotten tomatoes and a 50 percent audience score interesting which is bizarre yeah well Look, you know everyone got got so upset because at the beginning, see, it's only with the DVD copy. It's not with the Blu-ray, but you know, more people bought DVDs than they do Blu-rays now. There's a, an opening where Peter Jackson was getting on his soapbox, and he's like, "Look, he's an ape, not a monkey." And then everyone got <laughs> upset and logged on to people? Rotten Tomatoes and gave it a negative review. <laughs> yeah, but all, but all those snobby critics in their ivory towers were like, mm, "Yes, very good, very French. Enjoy, yes, quite." Mm, what you have no, to understand is no that superheroes good i don't like those <laughs> people people don't like to see their primates deconstructed that's really what it comes down to <laughs> oh beans yeah what does Zack snyder king kong look like even um i was just thinking about what what if uh Zack snyder was able to use gorilla grod but he just made him like they just they just use the same assets they just <laughs> direct and dropped and and it's this king kong yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Who wants to start? Uh, I can start. Sure. Did you? Did so, you say? Th- oh, you did say the things. Never mind. I'm delaying um, the podcast. 
Uh, so, Britton, would you like to start? <laughs> sure. Uh, so, I guess, disclaimer, they're obviously, because it's a Peter Jackson movie, there's a standard and extended edition. I watched the standard edition, which was still three hours and seven minutes. Yep. Is um, there really? I didn't even... <laughs> I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to look up minutes, the extended edition's runtime. Three hours and eight. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's it's, a scene of Adrian just, Brody doing some push-ups. It's just the uh, lecture Peter Jackson gives about eight Right, percent. exactly. That's... That's the extended part. My my worst thing, I'm I'm gonna do two because I don't know. One is just I don't know where else in the podcast I'll be able to foist this in. My the 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 first fifty or so minutes of the movie until they get to Skull Island, I had a real tough time with because it felt hmm. like the movie was kind of holding me at a distance in a way. A lot of the dialogue sounded like it was ADR. The editing seemed kind of choppy. Like the scenes just in general felt kind of wispy and floaty. It's really hard to describe aside from it sounded like a lot of the dialogue was ADR and it was chopped up weirdly. So when I was watching that, I was like, I wonder if this is one of those things they had to over edit it to get to, to tamp down the runtime. And with the extended yeah. edition, not necessarily flesh out character so much as just like let those scenes breathe and stretch a little bit better. Um, I, I the movie's not super strong on character. I don't mind that because I know what movie I'm watching. But at the same time, and the movie did a decent enough job getting me interested in the people or at least getting them introduced to me. But that that was a weird kind of I don't know sensory thing that maybe it was just me. Uh, so my real worst thing about the movie is just how it treats people of color. Um, a lot of this I think is just the hazard of remaking a movie from 1933. Mm-hmm. Which I've never seen, so when we get to that movie, we can we can address yeah. we can look at it that way. Um, but you know, the there aren't very many, and the characters that are all die. Uh, most sadly for me, uh, Hayes, played by Evan Park, who is like mm-hmm. the most dependable, nice person on the boat. <laughs> I thought he was really great, and he doesn't even have like a heroic death. He's just like, no, keep running. I'm gonna choose to shoot at this thing, even though I can escape. And then Does- Kong throws him against a wall. Sorry to no. tangent off of this because I was thinking about the purpose of him and uh, Jamie Bell's character. Right? Does Jamie Bell show up after they leave the island? Does he die no. or does no, he, he just he's kind of he survives? Yeah, he survives and he's just sort of in scenes. But I don't think he's on. I don't think we see him in Manhattan or anything. The yeah. last we see is him and Adrian Brody are on one of the little dinghies that Kong right. attacks, and you see Adrian Brody like rescue Jamie Bell and they start swimming huh. towards the ship. Like that's the that's, last we see. That's that's yeah. I, anyway. I I noticed that too. Yeah. Um, Britain, just interject real quick. So the theatrical cut is three hours and seven minutes. The extended cut is three hours and twenty one minutes. So okay. it's not as huge of a difference as like the Lord of the Rings movie. Sure, sure, right. Okay, gotcha. Um, but yeah, and 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 you know when you get there, there is a reading of this movie which I think is probably the intentional, the intention of the King Kong story, which is white people go to an uninhabited island take one of the inhabitants back and turn them into a slave. Like, I think that's a pretty, pretty fair interpretation of the material. But at the same time, that leans into the troublesome history of, oh, our proxy for black people is an ape, which is a really problematic thing. But also, uh, just in general, the the inhabitants of the island, even though they're not specifically coded as being black, I feel like a lot of them are 
white people with just a lot of makeup on, not blackface, but just like a lot of dirt mm. and everything. But it all it, that all felt kind of uncomfy. Yeah. Uh, to to watch, and again, I understand that King Kong, or I haven't seen the original, but I imagine Peter Jackson was like, okay. I'm going to do what the original King Kong movie did this way. And they do in the King Kong show at the end. They have very clearly as a criticism, white people in blackface. Like, I get it. But it's still the whole movie. I was like, if Hayes had done more and if there had been more characters on our hero side, I think it would have felt a little bit better about it. So, I don't know. Specifically about the uh, natives of the island, um... I found it very uncomfortable because of how similarly the directing and the kind of makeup and and the approach to them was to the orcs in Lord of the Rings. Oh, wow. Um, And I don't like I know that's a big thing that people say a lot is like, oh, you know, Tolkien uh, subconsciously was very racist by making the orcs like coded as people of color. I don't know that I've I've ever really been able to get that reading of lord of the rings for like i mean obviously all the main characters are white so that is a right, that is right. a thing that that's fair to say but i've never really picked up on that or, or like gotten that reading but for this case that did very much yeah like sit with me for a second i was like ooh, right this is this is uncomfortable this is weird <laughs> i hadn't thought about that but i think you're right and there's just a lot of like shots during their big ritual when they're summoning kong where people are mm-hmm. like convulsing and they mm-hmm. all of that i was like this is it kind of, if anything, kind of reminded me of the the quote troglodytes in Bone Tomahawk, where I was like, "Yeah, I think you're trying not to make this the obvious way. It's the obvious offensive, mm-hmm. but you're still kind of it's you're still not doing it exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like. Eh. Um, that said, my best thing I'm just gonna say is the middle section when they're on Skull Island. I just had a ton of fun with it. The stuff at the end I I like, but there's it feels a little short and also i wanted it i just like okay let's go let's get let's 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 do it let's shoot him let's let's get that monkey uh, oh my god i have my own worst enemy let's get that ape off the building but um everything on skull island i thought was awesome king kong Mm -hmm. fighting those t-rexes are you kidding me i had a great time the bug pit oh we'll talk about the bug pit (laughs) all that stuff on skull island i thought was just i feel like the pacing worked a lot for me i thought that the the effects worked great. I, I enjoyed all of it, uh, which we can get into in more detail as we go along. But yeah, that, that whole section, I had a lot of fun watching. I think that was the stuff that Peter Jackson cared the most about, <laughs> yeah. um, which is why I think that's the stuff that feels the most complete and the most like attended to. Uh, I can go next. Uh, I think, Britain, you and I enjoyed completely different aspects about this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> My favorite or my best thing about the movie is going to be anything with Carl Denham, Jack oh, Black's sure. character. I love the plot of this kooky kind of hack director trying to make a movie. And I really liked all the stuff at the beginning in New York when he's trying to mm-hmm. scrounge together a crew and resources. And, and the studio execs have called the police on him and they've got to take off. And, you know, he, he's he's tricking Adrian Brody as the screenwriter into staying on the ship so he can write the rest of the movie because he's only written like 14 pages um, I loved all that stuff, and and I also loved all the the stuff when they get back to New York and they're putting on the show and and you know talking about like the excess and how Carl Denham's just kind of like mm-hmm. 
he is a hack and it's it's like you remember like when you promised you were going to donate the proceeds to like two different guys yeah who died horribly and there's that that wonderful moment where he looks at colin hanks's character as like oh yeah this was like serious at one point and then he immediately goes back to to being the the salesman um i i I don't know i i really liked all that stuff um and this might just be my resistance to just big monster movies i i i just don't get a kick out of that stuff the way you guys do so a lot of the stuff on skull island wasn't it wasn't necessarily boring i just didn't find it as compelling as the the human stuff of them just trying to make a movie in this very weird setting sure um so yeah i think i think jack black's great i think Mm -hmm. this movie i I think some people have complained that this movie is miscast particularly with him and adrian brody i actually like how it's kind of subverting what you would expect from those two guys and i think they're both excellent Um, i think jack black's really good in this yeah like ever everything about jack black i really enjoyed like just just all the little touches like like him when he when the guys are bad mouthing his his movie at the beginning and he empties the glass and he's trying to listen in through the the door like i think it might be because it was giving me vibes to the first like 45 minutes of the aviator the the, the scorsese movie because a good chunk of that movie is is howard hughes trying to make the movie hell's angels and it it was giving me the same vibes because it's like the same time period and everything um so yeah all that stuff i found really really fun um oh yeah just to clarify like i didn't I didn't dislike the beginning. I just felt like it was cut in a way that would, was holding me at a distance a little bit. Sure. But I definitely liked all the bones of that, for sure. Sure. Yeah, it'd be interesting watching the extended cut if if it kind of... If I have that realization of like, oh, yeah, stuff is missing to kind of connect this. Because yeah, watching just, just it like, this time, I didn't have that feeling. But Okay. Yeah, that, that might have just been, been me. Um, my worst thing, I'll go for the obvious. It's too long. Yeah. Um. I think it earns its length a lot more than the 98 Godzilla movie for sure. And this is like 50 minutes longer, (laughs) however long. Mm -hmm. Um, But it gets silly at certain points. Like, like Tyler, I think you were messaging both of us, like the end scene of the the planes just constantly circling around and shooting at Godzilla or Godzilla shooting at Kong (laughs) and Naomi Watts looks on terrified and and Kong looks at back at her. Like, I'm not going to make it out of this. And it just, it keeps going and there were so many sequences like that where I'm like, you, look, I know you, you just won like all the Oscars for a three hour and 20 minute movie. So <laughs> you have carte blanche to do whatever you want, but cut this thing down, please. You know, th- I definitely felt it in that, in that sequence. It felt very repetitive and it's like, you're just, some of the stuff on Skull Island was really long, but it felt like new stuff was happening. Progression. Yeah. It yeah. felt like progression. And that felt like. The, how long does it take a plane to turn around? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I was definitely feeling it at that point as well. I uh, that that is a good segue because my worst thing, and I'll be curious to see how you guys feel. My worst thing is the third act. Mm. Um, like since once they leave the island. Um, and and we'll talk about that more. Uh, yeah, I was. It's not just because of that sequence, but I will say, I watched up to the end of the, the King Kong T-Rex fight scene. Cause I knew that was coming and I knew I could like stay hyped for that. Um, <laughs> and then that was like the first night of my viewing. And then I watched the rest of it the, the second night. Um, and not really because of the fault of the movie. I was very tired trying to get through it, 
<laughs> during that plane sequence, I kept dozing off, opening my <laughs> eyes, and realizing nothing had changed. <laughs> um, and that happened at least three times, I think. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, man, I'm good. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> I didn't miss anything, I guess. Um, there, there's a lot of the planes diving at him and a lot of longing looks at Naomi Watts between King Kong and, and her character. And it's it's just... <laughs> it keeps going. Um, but I also... I was i felt like kind of to your point Brenton, about the, the beginning of the movie i feel like the movie is so it, it's it's picking apart every little thing and moving very very slowly um through so much of the first two acts uh like it almost feels like real time aside from when they're going on the ship mm-hmm. uh like there's there there's so much detail and there's so many scenes <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I was really digging it. I was really, I was, I was getting into it. Like I, it, it pulled me in, I think pretty well. And it feels like after that time jump, we miss so much. Um, some of the things that bothered me were, we don't really know what happened between, uh, Jack Driscoll and, and Darrow. Right. So Brody and Watts's characters that they, they have clearly had sort of a, maybe falling out or like, maybe they just haven't they never connected after that or, or maybe, I mean, I think the implication might be that she was upset that he led King Kong back to mm. uh, the ship so that he ended up getting captured. Um, there's a little bit of a look there when Kong gets getting captured that kind of implies that, but we don't ever get a confrontation about that. We just skip ahead and that's there. Like I mentioned, JB Bell disappears and he is, he and uh, Hayes get quite, a, is it Hayes or Hayward? Hayes. 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 Uh, get quite a bit of screen time mm-hmm. going back and forth throughout that entire Skull Island section, and then it feels like that just drops. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the I and the overall setup of the Kong show is very weird because it we like we don't know how difficult it was to get that set up. We don't know how right. they got him into the show position to be locked in these chains. Yeah. Um, we don't how know how they hide him. How, yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. There's there's so many details that are very again when the rest of the movie has been pretty intricate in terms mm-hmm. of how we're getting from place to place and like how Carl Denham is manipulating these people to get get them into this place. Um that when we got to that point I kind of it, it felt jarring to me. It sure. was uh confusing to me that they skipped a lot of those details and I would have really liked to see at least the show be more established like I think it would have been nice if they had there had been something where this this has happened multiple times and we we see the show going successfully a couple yeah. of times of them showing off King Kong and then maybe because King Kong sees Jack Driscoll or because maybe Naomi Watts finally comes to see one of the shows that's what sets him off something yeah. like that I think would have been more interesting to me than yeah okay we got king kong okay he's back (laughs) we're showing him off okay he's out uh it's it's very quick it's very the the third act feels very much like we're hitting the beats and and we Mm -hmm. just have to hit plot points because that's what people expect to see from the king kong movie but then we also take a while to have a very strange scene between andero and king kong uh doing some ice skating um that feels to me as if it was a very forced way to get in some quiet tinder moments it, it's then, supposed it's a it's supposed to be like the last hurrah where where they have their final moment of connection and, mm-hmm. and peace time before everything goes goes to crap. Yeah. And that was strange because 
we know that the military is after King Kong right now. And we know that, (laughs) you know, it doesn't feel like the movie's trying to play off the tension of that. It doesn't feel like the movie's trying to say, oh, hey, you better get going because uh, something's about to happen. And, and you, you know, you're you're just dallying around. There's no implication that the movie wants you to be thinking about that. It it just switches gears for a, a minute or two and then switches back. Um, and then we get a nice tender moment of Kong and her sitting on the Empire State Building as the sun rises before yeah. the planes come in, which is an effective shot of the planes coming in. I did yeah, really a nice like callback, that. and that's yeah. that's a good tension building thing. Yeah, and then it kind of loses the the steam there. But yeah, overall, I I had I meant to give more of an overview than that. But uh, <laughs> those are many of the details <laughs> which bothered me. I I was watching because I was curious in terms of just like edit this thing down if you could cut the ice lake sequence like wholesale yeah and you can <laughs> i think so. like there there is a scene of kong picks her up they start walking that she you know he starts walking away and then you can immediately cut to they start climbing the empire state building like you can yeah. and, and like insert a sound effect with like sirens in the background so it's like yeah. oh he knows a threat is coming mm-hmm I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't hate it, but that was no, sure. Yeah. I remember that being a scene where it's like, oh, that's like 45 minutes of the movie. It's just them on this ice lake. It's not that long, but that's, <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in like a decade and that's what I remember. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, my, my read on it and the reason it bothered me so much is that it felt like the movie was very focused on giving us this, uh, not rich maybe but the you know pretty solid character stuff really exploring these characters exploring how they're interacting with king kong and his world um and there is a lot of detail and thought put into it and then it feels like they ran out of time and money and we're <laughs> like uh crap this movie is gonna be four hours long uh we've just gotta hit we just gotta hit what we can hit uh we've gotta do a time jump we've we've gotta knock knock this stuff out real quick because it's there's not enough room Peter, you already had the visual effects guys build out this whole dogfight sequence with Kong that lasts five hours. <laughs> what did you do with the money? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got to cut out and, like script pages two hundred to two fifty, okay? <laughs> and that is probably me bringing some of the behind-the-scenes knowledge into it because I did see that the movie started at I think one hundred and fifty million what's the budget or maybe even lower than that. And then it, it built up to, it ballooned to over 200, I think, or mm. wow. something to that effect. It, it, it got real bad. And it was, I think the record for most expensive film for a while. Not sure. Um, that might've been beaten by Batman versus Superman. No, Avatar it was um before that. The third know. Pirates of the Caribbean movie was <laughs> right. the most expensive movie for a while. Right. Um, and right now, Scoob. <laughs> Because they paid whoever replaced Matthew Willard uh, exactly. <laughs> millions upon millions of dollars. Um, yeah, I, my best thing is actually going to be King Kong himself. Uh, cool. I think the design, the effects, the CGI, the mannerisms, everything about him is spectacular. Um, he still looks stellar in... 2021 yeah 16 years later it's it's a real achievement uh he looks great um some of the dinosaurs i mean they don't look bad but they i think you could yeah. you can tell the designs are not super detailed you can right. tell that they were they made them pretty simple so that 
they didn't have to it's not like a jurassic park thing or anything like that right um where then you you really have to make the people believe they're seeing a real life dinosaur um you can tell that they leaned on the fact that ah well these are not you know it's a weird island they're not necessarily exactly dinosaurs they're sure. something strange and you can kind of just roll with that um but king kong looks so good the the scarring the expressions he's able to make the way he's able to move um everything about him i think is fantastic and i was really impressed even watching it now how he looks yeah i, I couldn't so. agree more i think that it's obviously it's andy circus and mocap and mm-hmm. everything it is equal if not just a fraction of a hair underneath Gollum. I mean, it's such yeah. an incredible thing. And it's so easy to forget that that's Andy Serkis uh, because those motions are so natural and they, and I'm not a zoologist, but they feel <laughs> so true to mm-hmm. what, uh, how an ape would move. Like, I, I just think it's brilliant. And I, it, there, there were a few points where I could tell that it was a green screen and stuff like that. And that's, I, I'm fine with that. You know, I, I've seen worse. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, Last week we saw something much much worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are there are so many movies that came out after this that's that look, yeah, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, so yeah, uh, I think they they did our beautiful boy justice. That's <laughs> uh, what I will say for that. Yeah, and I and I love how he's scarred and beaten up. That he, it 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 further drives home like this is not an easy island to live on. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that he's not necessarily the thing that makes it hard to live on. He's just one of the many uh, yeah. Uh, sufferers. Yeah. Um, I do. I was going to say, I do agree with both of your best things, though. I will say, um, I think the high point of the movie is the T-Rex fight scene. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Which we can <laughs> really dive into. Um, I also I, I had also considered saying Jack Black as my best thing, because I think this is it's not even necessarily that different of a performance than what he normally gives mm. um in a lot of the ways there there's still some elements of that that classic uh jack black comedy style uh within that performance but it's such an interesting insight to cast him as this guy yeah. uh, and i think it works really well oh agreed absolutely um Al, what are you gonna say um I was going to ask if we could circle back to to the the uh, the natives on the island, and because that's I'd rather not. <laughs> that that was a huge thing that I remembered from this movie. Like that stuck out in my brain, and I I'm not really sure how I should feel about that. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I remember I think it was like the fourth Harry Potter movie or something, and going to see that theater, and they played the trailer for King Kong. And it's building up the mystery, like how the movie does. And they get to the island and they're exploring it. And suddenly you see the little girl and she like raises her hand. That genuinely freaked me out. Oh, sure. So much so that I believe that that's the reason I did not see this in the theater. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I remember like that whole sequence where they get attacked by the natives and everything. Like, I remember that really affecting me. And I don't know how to feel about that because it's just so uncomfortable. It is. I will say though, just from a a film standpoint, it is a pretty scary sequence. Like I think yeah. he, Ken Peter Jackson, yeah. got to start doing horror movies and stuff, and I think he tapped into that beautifully with Lord of the Rings, and he taps into that a little bit here. I mean, one guy just straight up gets a javelin through his through his body. Which I like how they foreshadow that because that's mm. something that they mention when they're writing the screenplay. 
they're like, oh, the the main female, she looks over and the first mate has a a, a, a oh, yeah. staff sticking through his chest or something like that. Right, right. Well, another guy, they just grab him and then they like uh, smash his head in. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting watching this movie and how not bloody it is because it had to be PG-13. But I, I'm also watching going, I know how bloody Peter Jackson wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Well, because you see <laughs> so they're again, trying we'll to, to do that to Carl pet. and the blood is... is falling yeah. off the thing but then the guy gets shot right by uh baron von stuker yeah, from Crashman. age of ultron Correct. and uh there's no blood or, or squids yeah. or anything <laughs> he falls and there's literally no impact on his body yeah it's like you get knocked away by like an air gun or something um but yeah i, I do think i think the little girl shooing them away looks great and uh, apart from the racial discomfort which is a huge p- component of that scene it is a really well done like horror scene. You know, we are uh, uh, out of our element, and we are the 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 dominant people of this island are are getting us, and we're not gonna win. Like, if Thomas Crashman hadn't showed up, we would all be yeah. done for. It's a really effective scene that way. I I don't know if it would be better or worse if they had come back later on because mm. it is weird that they just scatter. Yeah. Even and like they hide out at their that little site. Yeah. Um, later these, it would have been kind of funny if like during that whole scene they cut over and Richard Jenkins and Patrick Wilson and uh, uh I can't remember the woman's name from Bone Tomahawk are sitting in a cage somewhere and they're like, "We got we done it again. <laughs> Every week we do this." Uh, but I, I was wondering, particularly like when Kong like breaks through the gate. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. At least we don't have like a reaction shot of some of them are looking at it from a distance or yeah. something, or we it's see weird. them scattering or like. Yeah. It, yeah, Tyler, to your point about like Jamie Bell just kind of disappears from the movie. The natives just kind of disappear from the movie. It's 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 very strange, and you know, yeah. ma- like I said, maybe the extended cut addresses some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know how to feel about I. I'm not like it doesn't freak me out anymore, like as as it did like when I was a kid. But um, yeah, it's a it's a difficult sequence to watch for multiple <laughs> reasons. Sure, um, sure. I do believe that the filmmakers of the original '30s King Kong stated that there wasn't supposed to be any sort of allegory or anything oh, like that. That's interesting. I, I always I, thought that I was. could be wrong, but I believe that's like pure, not coincidence, but you know what I mean. Like it right. was unintentional. Internet conjecture. <laughs> yeah. Like I think everybody took that um, that bit from uh, Inglorious Bastards where the the Nazi guys he's playing the guessing game about his character and he's like he thinks oh. he's describing an American slave and he gets it wrong. And he's like, oh, it must be King Kong. <laughs> mm. So I don't know. Gotcha. I, I I could be completely wrong about that. For some reason, that's that's in the back of my brain as yeah. some sort of factoid. I would also imagine it to be more likely that people making a movie in 1933 are like, we don't, we aren't saying that. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> than than them actually trying to do it. Um. Yeah. I um. What did I say? Oh. Um. So the bug pit, which is <laughs> I think another scene where Peter Jackson really just was like i know exactly what i want to do for this so that that scene for me was what really icked me out i mean granted at the end when naomi watts is like hanging off of the ladder on the top like i was like shaking i have such a thing about heights and all the stuff with her and 
being on top of the building and almost falling off, like my body's like tingling right now. It was so uncomfortable. But I have this fascination with giant insects and spiders in movies where I can't, I cannot look at them and I cannot stop looking at them. (laughs) Like I find them so repellent and so uh, compelling at the same time. And during that whole sequence, I thought it was a great sequence, but there's all these different kinds and some of them are like big old grasshoppers and some of them are like big old lampreys. Some of them are just big like pill bugs and stuff. And it's so nasty and they suck up poor Andy Circus, whose character's name was Lumpy. And but, might have been the most cartoony character in the film. I would definitely say, say that. <laughs> but I, well, something I really liked about that sequence was the music. Because throughout the rest of the, the you know, it's it's exactly the kind of score you'd ex- expect from this movie. It's a, I like the the score, but in that one, I liked it me- quite a bit. Yeah, it's a it's a good score, but during that that section in the bug pip, the music is this very like hazy, like Vangelis Blade Runner style thing. Yeah, and I really liked it because I to me for for me that what that music su- suggested was the haunting element of where they are. And that everything else is like exciting and oh, there's a ape punching a T-Rex. But this is there's this un there's these giant insects and it's unknown and it's futile. Like you're not gonna make it out of this. And they they weren't, except for Kyle Chandler saving them. We gotta talk about Kyle Chandler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's I found it so effective because it's it's a thing that for me is so scary and r- disgusting that they didn't play like horror music or, or 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 like exciting music they played haunting like this is literally an otherworldly experience you're having and they're all like they'll shoot some of the bugs off of adrian brody but then more will get on him and some of them are dying and some of them are living and it's and some of them are it, it's so it's a different way to make that scene scary and impactful and, and it really worked on me I think uh, we should probably mention James Newton Howard mm. came on very close to the film releasing uh, to replace Howard Shore. Huh. Because apparently Peter Jackson said Howard Shore's score just wasn't really like mm. working for whatever reason. Uh, Howard Shore mm. having done all the Lord of the Rings movies and returning for The Hobbit. So uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there was necessarily any bad blood there sure. unless... That or Warner Brothers just threw all the money at him for The Hobbit. Um, the, the funny thing was, I, I'll, I'll just say this real quick. I, I did, when I was listening to it, I was like, this sounds like I could see Howard Shore doing the score. Yeah. Like it sounded, <laughs> yeah. it sounded very much in the same vein as Lord of the Rings. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize until I saw the credits that it was James Newton Howard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think it's a fine score. I think considering, especially if, I, I think he had like a couple months to work on it. Um, no, I think the main theme is is perfect because yeah. it, it it's like oh it's like this grand epic in scope, but it's it's haunting at the same time. Like I I don't know that that all that all really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did want to address kind of the the biggest plot contrivance or elements, and maybe we can get into like this feels almost very classic Hollywood blockbuster as opposed to like a modern blockbuster with some of its sensibilities um where did the map come from <laughs> exactly <laughs> i know that's that's very old hollywood <laughs> yeah where it's just like that's the setup they found yeah he, he has a map yeah 
And I yeah. do like how it's not like a continued plot device. Like, oh, it's got like the inner workings of the island, and yeah. Jack Black's using that to help navigate. Like they don't they they don't do that. It just it blows away in the wind. I'm okay with that. <laughs> but I uh, I did actually really enjoy them using it to find the island and originally on the ship and it made me realize that i wish there were more movies about that sort of thing i want a really good moby dick adaptation i think is what i'm saying yeah, I, want, I want something i want a, a movie <laughs> that's just about these uh crotchety old men or middle-aged men i guess uh being stuck on a boat and going insane Tyler, um, I really want you to watch In the Heart of the Sea and go, this is the most amazing movie. Why is nobody <laughs> talking about this? It's possible. It's very possible. <laughs> but yeah, that, that that was just kind of silly to me. And I remember for the longest time, some of the stylistic choices I remember resisting, um, just kind of as, as, a, as a kid, you know, becoming a teenager. Like, um, I remember the... Uh, the the new york sequence with how you know the bright lights and and everything's flashing and, and there's like huge crowds and everyone's dressed real elegantly and i was like this is like the great depression right this doesn't make any sense i feel like it doesn't but it's it's stylized it's stylized 1930s yeah. and I, I i didn't really realize that until this watch of like everything is stylized right and just because they're on an island with a bunch of dinosaurs doesn't mean like it, it's stylized but in a different way right yeah. um so yeah, yep. I, I like that approach and, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because on, on on the one hand, like, I appreciate that Peter Jackson wants to take his time and make it feel big and it's like yeah. the most important thing, um, but it's also too long. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, I also, speaking of style, uh, Britain, unless you had something directly no. to that, this is kind of a tangent. Um I was also bothered a lot by some of the things that Jackson took from Lord of the Rings, directing wise, uh, some of the techniques he used, specifically really the kind of the shaky cam uh, mm. that gets used a lot. There, there's a lot of shaky slow-mo. It's, it's very early yeah. 2000s. Um, and there were times where it felt too much for mm. me. It was, it was a little more, a little bit too, indulgent um yeah in a way that every now and then i would get out of the lord of the rings movies uh where i'd kind of be like yeah this is this is you're really sitting in this moment yeah. um i think that this movie does that quite a bit more um there are things i do like it, it it's a little bit experimental at times maybe not experimental that's probably not a good it it, it does a little more than i would normally expect from a big, a big blockbuster uh mm -hmm. to do Yes. Camera wise, I really enjoy how anytime people are walking in the corridor in the ship, uh, there's the camera is is tilting and, and kind of rolling with the ship and, and giving you that claustrophobic feeling. I think that was effective. Um, but there is a lot of slow mo. It's a it, I think what it is specifically is it's that that kind of slow mo where the image gets blurry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that did not work for me a lot of the times when the movie used it. Yeah, I, I I can't remember if it was blurry at the the point where Naomi Watts starts to realize that things are turning with the, with the natives. I remember mm -hmm. I remember that being slow motion. I remember liking it because it kind of slowed everything down. I liked that it was her perspective as things went south. But maybe maybe it went on a little long. But I can't, I don't know if it was necessarily blurry at that. Stage. I know what you're talking about, and I, I can't yeah. remember if that was. I I think he sure. he tends to do that particularly in the horror sequences. Um. Yeah. 
because yeah when when they first run into the natives that he uses a lot of that and i was i was getting flashbacks to when they they first show up to the mines of moria mm-hmm. and they realize oh it's a tomb and it starts zooming in on 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 different skeletons and stuff and it, it's very yeah. much the same technique yeah definitely um yeah i'm trying to remember the other like other like big slow-mo moments of slow-mo moments of of this one it's more it's a lot of small yeah yeah that's true it's just interspersed and every now and then it would would do it in a way that rubbed me the wrong way um when uh the captain shoots the the kind of main executioner native that's all slow-mo and that that's weirdly edited yeah (laughs) Yeah. and took a while it's like all all the natives are starting to scatter and it cuts back to the guy still slow motion falling to the ground (laughs) Like, come on. <laughs> um, what 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 did we think of of the cast? I know some people considered this movie a miscast. I thought it was quite well cast. Yeah. No, I I like everyone in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really neat handpicked uh, group. Um, yeah. Naomi Watts doesn't get enough to do in anything. I mean, she she gets a lot to do in this. She doesn't get enough good roles. <laughs> is I what agree. I, should say. I completely agree because um, I think she's great she's, in this, but. Yeah, she's and we, in, we've talked about Mulholland Drive. Uh, Mulholland Drive. She's in yeah. Twin Peaks: The Return, mm. and more, she's worked with David Lynch. I think I think she's also in Inland Empire, which I have not seen. Mm. Um, might be like a tiny role. I don't know. Um, yeah, she's in the movie called The Impossible, which is really good. Yes, yes. she is. Uh, and she's in Birdman. And she's she in, Birdman, in Birdman. Which are, these are all great like projects. Uh, I just I just want her to do more things. And, I know. And yeah, I was looking at her because, IMDb because I I've, it's been a while since I've watched her in something and. There are a bunch of movies I wanted to watch or rewatch, like Twenty One Grams, um, and probably some other stuff. Just Tank Girl, but uh, <laughs> I think that yeah, you just you don't hear from her enough. And mm-hmm. It's like it's as often as she works, I feel like I don't I don't I don't see her enough. Yeah. And she's so good. Um, but also, uh, Alex, you had mentioned earlier that the there, there's a subversion by casting Jack Black and Adrian Brody as the characters they play. Um, and I think that works really well because you have Kyle Chandler, uh, mm-hmm. being a, being a dude who's a big bravado action guy who also yeah. runs away whenever anything gets scary. Um, and I think that works really well as well. Oh yeah. I did not know who Kyle, cause I, I saw this movie years ago and I did not at the time care who Kyle Chandler was cause I hadn't mm-hmm. watched Friday Night Lights yet. Um, and he's a tremendous actor. I think he's so talented now and what I really loved about his performance of this is that generally he's a very quiet actor. It's, it's all small things. It's very internal. Um, and he's brilliant at it. And to see him do like a big, a bigger Mm -hmm. performance. And he's like one of the goofball comic relief characters. Who's like this faux swashbuckler. I thought was really fun when he's like mimicking the poses on all of his posters and like holding up a cone to make it a mustache and maybe that'll work. And yeah, all that kind of stuff I just thought was so much fun which is just not something I get to see him do because he's normally a the the pillar character, the guy in the suit who tells Leonardo DiCaprio that he's bad. Um and like that's so, and he's great at it, but to get to see him be have have fun like that was really enjoyable. It'll be interesting when we get to the the newer cinematic universe Kong right. Godzilla cuz he's in that in a completely different role mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. imagining it's a lot less interesting than this. I would agree. I think um, yeah. <laughs> and like I, said, I liked Evan Park as Hayes quite a bit. It was nice to see Jamie Bell. Um, I 
Thomas Kretschmann is one of those actors that I know the name and I keep going, but why do I know the name? Does yeah. he count as famous? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> How do... Hmm. Um, and I don't know what Colin Hanks' character does in the movie. Like, I don't know what... Is he, like, a producing partner? Like, who is I, he? I think he would probably be a director's assistant. That would be okay. my guess. Okay. Because he just seemed like they got Colin Hanks to be in the movie. <laughs> I, I, well, I do appreciate that they do have like a separate character that is there to not necessarily challenge Denim, but he's there to be like almost like the audience's eyes in of like, yeah, no, he's like a normal guy who can like, he sees that the writing's on the wall with Denim. Like he yeah. sees that there are problems here. Yeah. Um, as opposed to everyone else who just kind of gets manipulated. Like Colin Hanks still goes along with it, but he realizes it's all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's like in the the dogfight sequence. Apparently, Frank Darabont was one of the gunners. I know Peter Jackson huh. was, and uh, Rick Baker, the legend of film makeup, um, was apparently one of them as well. Which I was like, I totally get why Peter Jackson would have Rick Baker in this. Is he friends with Frank Darabont? <laughs> also, uh, fun fact: Tom Hardy was one. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Caine was the voice of Kong. <laughs> right before you, why do we fall, Mistress Darrow? Why do we fall? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. Flop. Thomas Kretschmann was a Demoskinos in Blade 2. The the old lead, sure. not Empire or Emperor Palpatine vampire. Oh. Yeah, he was... Some, I am normally very... Uh, overly obsessed with recognizing actors in, in movies that I watch where... Uh, in Britain, I'm sure you can also... Are, are quite uh, familiar with this feeling where I oh, see yeah. somebody and I'm like, I know them from somewhere. I have to find that. And then mm-hmm. I'll go and try and track down what exactly I know them from. I don't think I realized I recognized him. <laughs> uh, I had to go look up and be like, oh, he is Baron Von Strucker. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm the guy who's watching Shit's Creek and goes, hey, Martin Roach is in this. And then I have no one to tell that to because no one else knows who Martin Roach is. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of the podcast, Catherine, one day, and I... I said something, I was talking about movies, and, and she was like, yeah, every now and again when we're having a conversation, I'll just do a quick IMDB, and then I'll go, all right, I'm not supposed to know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm right back into the conversation. I was like, all right, thank you. <laughs> uh, guess what else is in this movie? Well, I, I did want to touch on Adrian Brody real quick. Oh, yeah, please. I, Why wouldn't I, you? He's a hunk. Yeah. <laughs> He is an underrated actor. I was I trying to, to go back to a joke about 20-foot tall gorilla picking him up and being like, oh, you're the one for me. But <laughs> I don't know. No, um, it's, it's you're the one for me, <laughs> Master Brody. You're the one for me, Master Brody. Why do we fall, Master Brody? <laughs> um, Adrian Brody's like really, really good in this, and I think mm-hmm. he's very underrated. Um, I know, Tyler, you didn't like Predators, uh, but yep. I thought he was delightful in that. And that's another place where he kind of subverts expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. He, he, I feel like he's able to somehow pull off the action scenes in this and he, it doesn't feel like it's too much of a stretch, yep. but he's also able to be like a legitimate actor who's playing like yeah. this interesting guy. And I like that, that kind of our, our main male lead is the screenwriter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, it's the director or it's the lead actor. You know, something that you would expect more. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I don't know. It's just a very interesting take. And I don't know if the original does this, so maybe it's not an interesting take. Maybe it's I just they were being faithful. I think but. it may be. I okay. think that may be the case in the original. But, but yeah, yeah. I, I like how he never... It never feels like the, okay, here's our action star. We're supposed to believe he's a screenwriter. Yeah. Nor does it feel like, oh, that's a screenwriter. We're supposed to buy this guy as the action star. It, right. it feels right down the middle. And, and yeah, Adrian Brody, like, I don't really know what... I feel like I just don't see him pop up in anything except for like Wes Anderson movies. Now I don't know if that's a personal choice or if he's just doing work that I'm not aware of, but I, I really feel like I don't see him very much. He got cut out of thin red line and he's like, I yeah. I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Let me I'll go win an Oscar. Oh uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get game. my Oscar and then I'll I'll just whatever the predators yeah, ta- or I'll, predators, I'll, whatever it sounds what, good. Oh, what did Ryan Johnson wants? Uh the the pianist. Huh? Yeah, which okay. is uh, the movie that Roman Polanski won a directing Oscar for, and he couldn't uh, be there to accept it because we all definitely know why he couldn't be there, but we're still going to give him an Oscar. I believe Oof. Thomas Kretschmann is also in that. Quite possibly. Yeah. It was 2002. It was another time. Uh, but, not uh, like 2005. Not um, well, you're talking about Brody leads me into something that... Because he's a good action star, but he's not overly capable. And I really liked how... The action scenes in this and the fight scenes in this felt clumsy, not in terms of filmmaking, mm-hmm. but that like this is not a story of characters who are surprisingly amazing fighters. Um, there's a lot of hairpin misses. There's a lot of like, oh, you just have Naomi Watts happened to drop on the T-Rex's snout rather than in his mm-hmm. jaws. There's a lot of that. But I think that's fun. Like I know I know what movie I'm watching and I love that stuff. I love when right. it's like. You know, like that rhino in, um, I think it's Amazing Spider-Man Two. No, oh. <laughs> but I think it's in like one of the three hundred movies where like they spear a rhino from a distance and he slides and he's just just in front of the guy. Mm. Like I think that kind of stuff is really fun. Now this movie does a lot of it, but I really liked that all like, the whole T Rex fight. One of the reasons I think it's so good is that it's it the the, the filmmaking is really clean, but the fight is really messy. It's mm-hmm. lots of King Kong's getting bitten and he's like scrabbling and he swipes at him and then he gets knocked down and then he's got a tw- like when he, the the two times he breaks one of their jaws he has to like wrestle and pin them down and like it's a, it's a full sequence that you really follow narratively narratively for one of a phrase but I think that it's just I, I don't know, I like that it never felt um overly believable that people are gonna survive despite all the very movie style ways the humans survive. I I was having like severe PTSD to Godzilla ninety eight, like that scene where they're trying to escape all the baby Godzillas by shooting the <laughs> chandelier. Sure. And I was like, there's none of that in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and it it just it felt really it felt genuinely fun. Um, but I liked that King Kong wasn't like ah T Rexes. Well, I know all the moves and it can execute all my combos. He was like, I'm just making this up. Yeah, and there were several points in the movie where I was like, from Skull Island all the way to the end, where I was like, just put Naomi Watts down. Oh my God, you can't do this. Just put her down. Just put her down. You're gonna. She's gonna get hurt. Yeah, I uh, I adore that King Kong T Rex fight scene. <laughs> um, because the the pacing. I mean, first you have Naomi Watts stumbling upon the T Rexes. Uh, and she, she happens to, she's trying to get away from one and she lies down and there's another one right there. And it's like, Oh no. Um, and then King Kong shows up to defend her and 
another one immediately yeah. jumps out from the woods and it's like what <laughs> um and he's he's jumping around he's he's redirecting them he's throwing them he's putting like it's such a great yeah. struggle and the fight progresses in a great way where uh somewhere along the way he takes out one i think by like smashing it with a rock in the yeah, head something like that. um something like that and then uh they end up all tumbling into the ravine and everyone gets caught and so that you've got one t-rex at the bottom and one t-rex at the top and kong's trying to take that the one at the top but then naomi watts is stuck in the middle and then she's falling because they're struggling up there and that's taking yeah. her close to the one at the bottom it's so like interesting and compelling mm-hmm. and fun uh yeah. i i think it's a really well like that particular sequence i was like wow this is this is really creative this is this is good um and then of course we get to the bottom and he's able to uh take out one of them and, and finally do the the epic jaw snap yeah um <laughs> that he then kind of plays with it after after yeah like, he does he does like a little which is again talking about king kong as a character in this movie um and as a design and the mannerisms and everything it feels so it, it, he feels like a intelligent wild animal mm-hmm. uh the way the way that's done it, it does feel like andy circus probably spent a lot of time studying gorillas <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out uh how exactly to act like them and the yeah the way he kind of like flips the the jaw back and forth um, and he does some he does some roaring and then he he messes with it a little bit more and it it, it all feels very real and and looks great it's a great struggle and there's lots of near misses like you were talking about um it's a ton of fun i i yeah. think it's a brilliant section and is really the only section i think you need out of this movie <laughs> um simply because the third act doesn't deliver on a lot of things that i wish it delivered on uh i feel like that's all i really i'm like all right well i'm taking this chunk and I'm taking that home with me, and that's it, my. It's, it's interesting because having not seen the original, I think that the the iconic thing that and the thing that has inspired filmmakers for nigh a hundred years is King Kong on the Empire State Building, mm-hmm. right? Like that's one of those early movie images that is like, this is the medium of wonder, and we anything can happen. That there's this giant ape on the top of the Empire State Building, and that's the thing we really pull from it. I, I don't I don't know anything about Skull Island in that movie. And with this, it's kind of the flip, where it's mm-hmm. like with King Kong, you go, "Oh, the stuff on Skull Island when he fights the T Rexes, that's the thing that really lands." And you're like, "Oh yeah, Empire State Building, sure, <laughs> that's yeah. also in the movie." Yeah, I, f- I feel like the movie almost has like a one-two punch, where it's, we have we have the T Rex fight scene, and then we have the bug scene mm-hmm. so close after that. Yeah, it's like the movie can't really step it up from there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which Britain, not just to circle back, I think the bug scene is overall my favorite scene in the entire film. Sure, um, yeah, I think that is able to build up like the feeling of of just sheer claustrophobia and desperation that I I, I don't see in these types of films yeah. very often. And, and dread, that, which I think is the word I was looking for earlier. That 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 music creates a sense of dread in a way that I wouldn't have expected. Right, and that's one of the weird things because. I don't think many like big budget directors can do this the way that Peter Jackson can. Yeah. Like the only other person I would think of in terms of like blending in the effects and just like making it all feel real, even when it's, you know, super heavy with, with a lot of digital work and there's a giant gorilla and all this stuff. Like the only other person I can think of that gets like this close in terms of like visceral action scenes is like Nolan. And mm. even then, he doesn't. He tries to stray away from the digital stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. Peter yeah. Jackson is one of the best directors in terms of melding everything together. Yeah, I would. I would say Spielberg is in that camp, but he doesn't. He doesn't work in the same 
like he makes big movies and sometimes they're really special effects heavy but a lot of his like saving private ryan is not an action movie in the traditional way neither is Jurassic yeah, park but, that's what i would yeah. say is he doesn't really do action the same way most people do action he does yeah. uh wonder right uh, yeah. to use the word and, you said britain yeah. um more so than action uh I also just had the idea of uh, <laughs> Christopher Nolan doing a King Kong movie, and they're like, "All right, so uh, what what do you got for us? What what have you kind of put together in terms of your your concept? Uh, since you you said you want your interest in this?" And he's like, "Well, you know, I think that uh, what we'd really like to do here is uh, to make make King Kong a normal gorilla, uh, and then uh, our our people have to contend with the str- you know it's it's like Moby Dick." <laughs> uh, it's it's not it's, it's the, the whale's the normal size of a whale he's just he's just tough he's just a strong whale and they go well chris we want, well hang on what do you know about fractals and then he starts pulling out like a big whiteboard <laughs> because in this one king kong is a mathematician i'm assuming you've watched futurama <laughs> now <laughs> no he, he's like all right they're going to go to the island it's going to be very much like the original but Kong is going to be a normal-sized gorilla. But then there's a cold fusion device that they need to stop. Otherwise, it's going to destroy the whole island. And they go, I know you like the sci-fi concepts, Chris, but I don't feel like it. that's this kind of movie. And he goes, mm. why not? And, <laughs> and, then, and then he like um, he kind of tucks uh, away a sheet of paper that says giant Adrian Brody. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's how you step up a third act. Adrian Brody gets big and fights King Kong. Oh my god, that'd be so good. It's like when uh, in when they form the Megazord in the Power Rangers movie, and Ivan Ooze is like, "Well, I'll be a giant bug." Uh, because this is Christopher Nolan, the fight, the final fight scene takes place in a giant plane. Uh, so it just turns into them fighting in a plane, as if Adrian Brody is fighting a gorilla in a plane. And that's there's yeah, no size. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But Eight it's like constantly plane. doing corkscrews to simulate zero gravity. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> I think um, I think that there are a lot of movies that would and have tried to sell you on. We're going to have something crazy happen, like a gorilla fighting three T-Rexes. We're going to do this. It's going to be so crazy. But then they never really deliver mm-hmm. or they just kind of watching that scene. You're like, you're just kind of telling me about an idea you had. It never really gets as inventive or as crazy as I want it to. Yeah. And kind of like how Pacific Rim has these moments of just the only word I can think of. It's, it's joy. Like, I feel such a sense of joy from Del Toro that he's like, and then the robot picks up an oil tanker and smacks him in the yeah. face. And it's that's so creative and fun where you can tell the director is really thinking what is truly awesome in the literal sense of mm-hmm. the word and what is fun and how can we get really creative and really make this thing sing and i think jackson totally does that with the t-rex fight like it's so it's such a successful and it's a long fight but it doesn't bother me because it progresses like we said it yeah it, there are stages to it where things get a little bit better and a little bit worse and we were talking about this with um oh, i can't remember but it's how uh, you're talking about 1998 probably <laughs> probably you're talking about you, you you brought up the daredevil fights in the tv yeah. show how like he punches them and then they get tired and have to it, it's not just a quick punch to the chest and they're down um and that's kind of what that fight is is like the mm-hmm. t-rex is you think oh well can, like a giant ape just punched them in the face but they're giant t-rex so like they bite them on the arm and there's a constant reason to be like either side is going to win or lose which is which is what makes for a fun uh action sequence 
Yeah, it's just great. And that Naomi Watts is just like, I guess I'm just going to watch this now. <laughs> I don't really have a choice. Um, um, I was just going to ask, uh, how did we feel about kind of the handling of, of uh, Naomi, Naomi Watts' character in terms of, did we think that her not not falling in love but her coming to care for kong was effective or did they spend enough time on it did they spend too much time on it how how did we feel about that i felt like a lot of the time they spend together there's a lot of the time of her like pacifying him and then just sort of getting to a neutrality and him saving her but then a lot of that after that is just a lot of looking at each other for a long time mm-hmm. yeah and i think her performance does a lot i think she does a lot with no dialogue and she's very effective but I, I, I didn't buy it as much as I think as the movie wanted me to. No. Um, otherwise, I think her character is pretty solid. I, think, like, I like that they set up that she is a starving actress. She's trying and she gets kind of whisked into this uh, uh, journey. And that her love story with Adrian Brody is not the predominant part of her yeah. character. And yeah. even she's technically damseled, but not as bad as in other movies, you know, and it, I don't know. I, I, I think they handle it probably better than you would normally handle that kind of character in this kind of movie. I I did find it a little, not difficult, maybe frustrating uh, at the end where, you know, she sees Kong fall off and, and Adrian Brody's climbing up the ladder. And then like within 10 seconds, she's turning around and hugging him. That that I I'm think like is that, there's grief more than there's a resolution else, but... there that's just not that's missing. Sure. Mm-hmm. I'm like that was too quick, but then we get the awesome Jack Black scene where he's like, no, it was it wasn't the planes, it was Beauty who killed the beast. And I was like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the. I, I was happy that he said it was and not twas because I think in the in the original they say twas mm-hmm. Beauty ah. killed the beast. I'm like, people don't talk like that. <laughs> hey, movie, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I don't know what they do in the 1976 one because. I don't know about that movie. I don't think anyone does. I, I, if you told me no one had actually seen that movie, I would believe you. <laughs> I, uh, I think the most effective stuff they do for building the quote unquote relationship between Andero and Kong is the T-Rex fight scene. Sure. Um, I really feel like that after they go through all that and he's, he's clearly protecting her, um, and and sort of in a objectifying, you know, this is she is my like trophy prize thing that I've right. I've taken. Um and the T Rexes are very clearly intelligent enough to go after her like not just for a meal reason. Like they're clearly mm-hmm. antagonizing Kong um right. through the way the fight is progressing. They're they're specifically trying because Kong is trying to keep them away from her. Um and I think at the end of that, it's it's effective and it, it really works for them to kind of have the quiet moment because I think they go and sit on a cliff um, yeah. right after that. And there, there's a moment where it's like, OK, they've kind of come to an understanding here. That was that was insane and rough. And she's now, you know, what, like, well, this, you know, supposed monster did really care for me and, and protect me. Um, and I think that kind of accidentally does more <laughs> for it than any of the scenes of them kind of staring at each other. Uh, there is the interesting sequence where he keeps pushing her down and laughing. Uh, right. And she finally is like, no. And and he gets really mad and, and stomps away. Um, and I, it's hard to tell exactly what the movie wants us to think Kong is thinking <laughs> is the best well, way I would put it. Yeah, I, I think yeah. a lot of the time 
the movie expects us to get what exactly is happening on an emotional perspective. Sure. Uh, more than it really allow like the the visuals can only do so much and we need a little more insight um whether it's her speculating to somebody or i don't know yeah well and i, and I like when that you're talking about the, the falling down i like how it starts with her doing her like vaudeville act mm-hmm. yeah to entertain him in the way he's laughing and enjoying it and then it's like okay he likes pratfall so he keeps like trying to make her fall over and then like she has a line where she's like that's all there is where she's like i don't yeah. know any other tricks what do you want i juggled dude <laughs> but, but i was also just nervous around the whole thing because she's her back is to the cliff and i'm like mm-hmm. naomi naomi <laughs> oh come on Birdman is not a literal figure who will come and save you <laughs> or is he i don't know i don't get that movie either <laughs> but i like it um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like other other like really standout bits um, or, or elements of the film. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I really have anything either. Yeah, I, I think the closest the movie got to like stretching my suspension of disbelief is during the dinosaur stampede, where you would just keep seeing like. Mm-hmm. Jack Black or Colin Hanks like just end up at a different part of where I, mean, I was yeah. totally I was totally on board with it. I, I, I was like I I know what this is and I'm totally here for it. And I think that was also when a lot of the green screen was really obvious. Yeah. I I think that's the one weak point of the the special effects in the whole movie. I think everything else is pretty pretty spot yeah. on. Like that the dogfight sequence, you know, we we make fun of just because it goes on forever. It looks stunning. It does look really good. Yes. Yeah, and, and I think that the green screen, that's just a more product of, like, it was 2005, <laughs> more than yeah, anything right. else. Everything else is done with such care and detail. Um, they uh, they do also have a little, little nod, a couple little nods to Jurassic Park when uh, they first see the dinosaurs, because Kyle Chandler does the thing that uh, Alan Grant does, oh. where he slowly takes off his glasses while shaking his hand, like his hand is shaking. Um, oh. And then someone else says, like, no one's going to think like they're filming the dinosaurs and someone else says, no one's going to think these dinosaurs are fake, uh, which is yeah. <laughs> it's quite good. Yeah, that's right. I didn't realize the Kyle Chandler thing. Yeah, I think I think that the. Um, the. Oh, well, never mind. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but do you remember your grade if we have nothing else? I th- I do I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm gonna go B plus because I okay. I think that Peter Jackson would not I'm not calling this a B movie but I think to to say this is a B movie plus I think I think that would make Jack I think Jackson would be fine with that and um <laughs> yeah I mean I think as this is one of those movies that maybe the whole is greater than the sum of its parts um or maybe vice versa I have yeah. I never saw it in a theater and I continue to lament that I think on the big, the big screen I imagine the whole thing works works better. Because you're the, the every scene is big in some way, mm-hmm. and I think, and again, a, a truly good movie works on a TV or a movie screen. If it works, it works where however you're watching it. But I think that this is a movie that would really benefit from seeing it on the big screen. So I lament on having done that, but I still a lot of stuff that I think works so well. And regardless, I think there's of all the movies we've watched that are inconsistent, there's so much care and intention behind this one that it's like that that alone makes up for so much of it for me when we have right. seen so many movies where you feel like the director just didn't care or it was 
they got really cynical about it or spiteful or something. And, and none of that is present. There's a lot of love in the movie. And, and I, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And, and it's, it's nice that obviously Lord of the Rings was a passion project for Peter Jackson in many ways, but this feels even more like a passion project. Yeah. And it's nice that it doesn't feel pretentious. It doesn't feel heavy handed. It's self-indulgent, but it doesn't feel like an egotistical nightmare. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like he's going to go back. He's, it doesn't feel like he's trying to fix the original. It feels right. like he's loving the original through yeah, what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to stick with the B. Uh, I think if you trimmed the movie by like half an hour, I'd probably feel a bit better about it. But um, yeah, I, I, I still have a good time with it. Just, just some slow parts that drag it down. And uh, I still don't know how to feel about those natives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go B minus. Uh, I think... I would actually argue the movie is not greater than the sum of its parts. Mm, okay. Uh, or the whole is not greater than the sum of its parts. I feel like there's individual things that really stick out to me as, as impressive and as yeah. kind of triumphs. Um, but there's also a lot that is rough, uh, either narratively or pacing wise, length wise. I think there's a lot of holes to poke that make it not a very cohesive experience, uh, even though there are parts of it that I really enjoy. I gotcha. I gotcha. It is also <laughs> interesting, Britton, you mentioned this movie would probably be great on the movie screen. I feel like most of the directors who say things like, oh, you know, you can never watch uh, movies on your phone, whether that's a, a Scorsese or a Lynch. I guess no one has said it. Um, but I feel like a lot of those directors are ones who you can totally still get a very effective yeah. <laughs> like viewing out of their movie on a phone because it's, it's I can watch Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street on my iPod Nano and be okay. Okay, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, I don't know. It's interesting because a lot of them have that they have, they're very detail oriented and they, yeah. they, their craft is amazing and they, they are shot amazingly, but also you can get that very well. Mm -hmm. Whereas there are some movies that are built around having a huge scope in right. every shot and like those make more like i feel like i don't hear peter jackson saying man you, you can't watch king kong on your phone you idiot yeah my, uh, michael bay isn't talking about the the experience of sitting in a theater with a group of people yeah but then again peter jackson also was like 60 frames per second is the way of the future true and it true. is not can confirm the future called it's not it guys it's just not <laughs> He just, he got the wrong, he got the call from the wrong industry. Video games is where he needed to <laughs> get right. from. Ah, uh, well, the future may not, may have called, but so is the past <laughs> for recommendations of stuff we've seen. Um, Joke's on you. I'm, I'm recommend, recommending Dune 2021. Whoa. Uh, so safe. Put safe. that in your juice box <laughs> and safe. drink it. I would recommend box. No Time to Die, but it's never coming out. Correct. And I'm recommending uh, that Cyrano de Bergerac musical that Joe Wright's making with Peter Dinklage. Um, <laughs> that's true. That's a real movie, apparently. I that's understood happening. about half of those words. Um, most of them were Peter Dinklage. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to be in a musical about Cyrano de Bergerac, and I cannot wait. Um, directed by Joe Wright, who made two of my favorite movies. Um, 
I am going to recommend a movie that I actually haven't watched in a while, but it's been one of my back pocket recommendations. I didn't watch something this week. Um, but it's another big, long movie. Uh, it's 1957's The Big Country. This is a movie by directed by William Wyler, who made um, Roman Holiday and Ben-Hur, among others. Hmm. Um, and it is the story of a from New England uh, gentleman who, with his wife, his new wife, goes back to visit her family out, out west. And he gets caught up in this feud between two families over a big plot of land, a big, a big piece hmm. of the country. And it's... Uh, it's a really interesting movie. It's it, it's one of these long classic movies with a big star-studded cast. It stars Gregory Peck, who's one of my favorite favorite favorites. Gene Simmons, Burl Ives, Charles Bickford, uh, Chuck Connors, Charlton Heston in an early part, and it kind of dances with the with the like out of towner dealing with these newfangled with these unfamiliar ways, but not in the way you would necessarily expect, or not entirely. There's a lot of Gregory Peck just being like, I don't know why you all have to fight. I think that's just really dumb. And it's it's a really neat movie from the perspective of how the movie tr- handles masculinity and how men solve their disputes and what those disputes are, I think is really interesting. And there's a fight scene in it between Gregory Peck and Charlton Heston that the way it's framed narratively and literally the way it's framed and shot makes it in a kind of a backwards way. Maybe one of my favorite movie fight scenes. Hmm. I think it's just really, really interesting. And I think it's just, uh, it really is just stuck in my mind. Um, all the performances are great. Uh, I love Gregory Peck unconditionally and he looks really silly on a horse. And so it's fun to see him, but it's also, it's a, it's a beautifully shot. It looks gorgeous. These huge wide pictures of this gorgeous countryside. And these, this is really exciting, uh, horse and cart chase. That's, that's really well done. And I think this was before Ben-Hur, but I, I haven't seen Ben-Hur, but everyone talks about the chariot race and Ben-Hur. And you see that in the way, uh, uh William Wyler films, these stunt, chase sequences in this movie it's just really impressive it's it's long but uh i I think it's just with a lot of old movies you kind of like all right i'm just gonna settle in and just go on this journey with these actors and it's just it was consistently compelling i watched it on amazon prime it might still be there but wherever it is it's worth checking out and it's called the big country i'm gonna follow up britain's uh adoration for a classic 50s film by recommending that you go look up a youtube video if you haven't <laughs> seen it before uh it's, it's a video called, called, called Dan daniel it's a video called brody quest um as an adrian brody and yes it is related to adrian brody and just look up brody quest you can you can probably do one word or or two words i think it will show up regardless but yeah uh no further questions your honor um <laughs> Alex, do you have anything? Uh, kitchen nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> Britain's really holding the intellectual weight of this podcast. <laughs> Real quick, look, Tyler, is is it look, the one by Neil Ciceriga? Yes, it is. Okay, cool. Look, I realized how not to cook a salmon, <laughs> <laughs> and what? that, and by that I mean don't cook a week old salmon. Okay. okay i thought maybe you just like went out in, in, like on a sunny day and just held it up <laughs> <laughs> like the lion king exactly <laughs> Please. um 
No, I watched a couple of episodes of, of Kitchen Nightmares because I haven't really watched that one before. Uh, I like Gordon Ramsay. I like him yelling at people who are messing up food. It's always enjoyable. Um, and then I just went on like a YouTube binge and just like th- they released so many like three to five minute just clips of random episodes of like Gordon Ramsay explodes on incompetent owner. And it's like I I can't get enough of it. I love it all. <laughs> Alex, so, when you when you saw that week old salmon sitting in your in your ice box, did you think to yourself, "Now I am the kitchen nightmare. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Gordon will come to my house." <laughs> was it like was it one of those things like you kind of wanted to get caught? You nasty, nasty guy, <laughs> creating creating a summoning circle for Gordon Ramsay out of burnt steaks <laughs> on the crown. Torre Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna say, Britain, you think too highly of me. It was just sitting in my sink for a week. <laughs> it's the uh, is the the th- the threequel to that Ouija. Tri- it's the third in that Ouija trilogy, but it's like origin of Gordon. <laughs> Look, it's okay. Occasionally, I would put cold water on it. There you go. Wow. I think it kept. <laughs> <laughs> We'll tune in next week for uh, more Alex's fish tips. <laughs> I also watched Silence. Alex, oh. oh, there you go. I've been actually wanting to watch that for a long time. How, Is it- how, what did you think apart from choosing to recommend Kitchen Nightmares? <laughs> because it was funnier this way. <laughs> oh, okay. I, don't I know, watched man. Silence, Silence for the second time. I hadn't seen it since like like three or four years ago, and it's 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 good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty makes the good films. <laughs> that one in particular, I, I, I watched it maybe last year, year before, and I know that a lot of it flew over my head. There's so much that yeah. I was I was missing. I'm probably just in terms of life experience, but there's a lot of like he he is probably doing so much like under the surface of this. And I was reading reviews from people who were Catholic themselves or had a Catholic upbringing, and they got a lot out of it. And I was like. Having not had that experience, it was just, I imagine I was missing out on it. It's still very impressive, and Tadanobu Asano is really good in it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, it's it's a good one. But I was definitely like, I need to like read about it and then watch it again. Tyler, as someone who isn't really a, a fan of, of the more popular Scorsese films, I think Silence is probably going to be the one for you. If that there is might one be a good, for you, good you did for mention you. Aviator earlier, and I realized it's been a while since you've shown me that, but that actually might be one of my more liked Scorsese films. Which is funny because uh, you don't like it very much. I mean, I think, well, but this has been an, an on running thing that you assume I hate it because you uh, do hate it because you're a hack. <laughs> I was not over the moon about it. Uh, I know. But I feel like the fact that it's actually one of my, one of the Scorsese movies, I'm more like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> Uh, I feel like that should be a big win for you. Uh, it's not, because you don't have like an undying love for it. Scorsese power rankings. Gangs of New York <laughs> is number one. The Irishman is number two. And the Aviator is number three. Scorsese power rankings. Which ones do I have on my iPod Nano? Let's go. <laughs> Time to watch a really tiny taxi driver. <laughs> I have Joker on here. Oh, wait, no, that's not the film he wanted to make at the time. <laughs> Lost my iPod Nano out the window. I'm going to watch a really tiny King of Comedy. (laughs) Which is great.
that's probably one of my most liked scores. You can find us yeah. online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCT Sequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. We're on Apple Music slash iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. Um, next week, I we we may we're probably doing Godzilla twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. but I think we may have to reevaluate that because we've realized part part of why we've done this in this order, as we may mention the last episode, is to try to knock out. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong before it leaves HBO Max um, but all, uh, I think the, the whole sequels crew is, is getting their shots so mm-hmm. uh, we're, we, we're, we should be in, in a good position to theoretically watch it actually in a theater which is uh, just a, a wild concept uh, <laughs> yeah, in <really>. 2021 <laughs> um, so we, we might reevaluate that schedule a little bit because we do want to hit the 1933 Godzilla 1933 King Kong 1950 54 yeah 54 uh godzilla as well um so we'll see might play with that okay or maybe neither of you want to do that in which case i will be overruled um i think think otherwise we might have a pretty kong then godzilla kong then godzilla kong like we'll go back and forth until they meet in combat uh but we will see i've been britain (laughs) i've been alex and in lieu of saying something uh catchy or funny or whatever you're having a good night i like our sign off